Hello, everybody. It's Betsy, and here's what's in the Pop and Collars feed for the month of October 2020. We channel our inner Cecil B. DeMille on this month's Pop and Collars, where we discuss Hollywood biblical epics. And speaking of biblical epics, the person who literally wrote the book on them, Richard Lindsay, returns on this month's Take Two. Greg and I are in the home stretch of our 1989 movie rewatch. This month's Going on 30 spotlights the directorial debut of Steven Soderbergh with his Sex Lies and Videotape. Finally, on The Sacred Six, Shana and Greg ponder the nature of war and hatred as they review the Star Trek episode, The Day of the Dove. Thanks again for listening and keep those collars popped. Hello, this is Shana Watson, ordained priest serving at St. James Episcopal Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm the founder and creator of Theocon, where theology meets pop culture. And you are listening to Poppin' Collars. We are war. We are war with terrorism, racism. Most of all, we are all ourselves. God, show me the way because the devil's trying to break me down. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this episode of Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and popular culture. My name is Betsy Carmody, and I serve here in lovely Alexandria, Virginia, at the Episcopal High School, where we are preparing, fingers crossed, to welcome students to campus. Ah, but I, I so trust the team here. I think it's going to be, I just can't wait to have students on campus. It yeah. just, you know, even if it's up till Thanksgiving, I'm just super excited. So that's where I am, but I'm here with my lovely co-hosts, all three of them. So Liz Easton, where are you? What you doing? Hey, Betsy. Um, I am in Omaha, Nebraska, where I serve as canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. I'm just going to be honest, you know, like many of us, I feel like I have a lot of um, like informal jobs now. So this week I've spent a lot of time being an armchair epidemiologist. I mean, we all took that like January term class. That's right. That's fine. I think that's that's a great, I'm glad you're really getting to use it. You know, a big part of my job in the last months has been helping. um, I'm certainly not solely responsible for this, but helping our diocese craft reopening protocols and then helping individual congregations plan their reopening, which is uh, important work, but it, I feel out of my depth a lot. So I'm grateful to have a lot of help. Yeah. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, good luck with that, Liz. Um, R- Ricardo, where are you? What are you up to? Hey, Betsy. Uh, hey. <laughs> Ricardo Avila here, uh, holding down the fort in California. Uh, I am the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, the fire closest to Los Gatos has now been 100% contained, I understand. And so I got kind of that going on seven months of lockdown craziness. And uh, if I act out during the podcast, you'll know why. Anything could happen. (laughs) Well, and maybe I need a little more surprise in my life. I'm all for that. All right, Mo, last but not least, Mr. Greg, where are you? Uh, you Let's see. Thank you. Greg Knight, 
I'm down here in Palm Beach, Florida, where I'm children and youth director at Church of Bethesda by the Sea. I noticed that we went in order of loveliness uh, when we did the end, <laughs> and we've arrived down at the end with me, so thank Aww. you for that. Um, no, things are going good here. October is that time where things start to feel abnormal in Florida, which is to say that everybody else's weather changes and ours doesn't. But I guess what, you know, with the year that we're all having and the stasis that it feels like we're in, maybe we're all stuck in one place mentally. Oh, so you feel included. Yeah. There we go. That's nice. Well, welcome to our episode. Uh, We are actually, this feels kind of weird because we tend not to go directly into the wheelhouse of religiously themed popular culture we tend to hunt around hunt and peck to find religious themes or ideas inside uh pieces of culture that might not necessarily seem to be containing them but we've decided to just go straight into the belly of the beast this week a little bit and we are going to be talking about biblical movies you know they can bring the kitsch they can bring the cheese they can bring the debate about what jesus is more authentic and attractive Uh, We are going to be talking about biblical movies, whether they're ones that are our favorites or ones that just stuck a particular chord with us, and give you a little bit of feedback, and maybe you need them for that Bible movie binge weekend that you've got planned coming up, and here we are, here to serve you. So, Greg, you've got the magic bag. I do. It is well with my soul. Is the as well with my soul Oriental the Trading Company phrase that we couldn't think of last time? Yes, from Liz's hometown at the yes. Oriental Trading. That's Company. right, <laughs> Omaha's home. Oh, yeah, we're <laughs> the Oriental Trading Company. That is right. Tour the Oriental Trading Company. I don't think you can like go there. I mean, maybe you can. I would think they might have like a small storefront there. That a lot of people work there. Yeah. Big, big jobs, big jobs here in Omaha. Whoa, Can I just yeah. say, I'm so proud of our little Christian podcast for finally talking about Jesus. I mean, just going right <laughs> I've been pushing this for you. <laughs> and I'm first. Oh, it Take is off, Betsy. the B. Oh, thank you so much. All right. So I am not going to consider this cheating because <laughs> we can link to another episode of this podcast based on my pick. But I will say it is the biblical movie that has stuck the most with me since we actually, uh, I think this is probably the last time we really looked at a Bible movie was um, Rodrigo Garcia's uh, Last Days in the Mm. Desert. And I remember we got to go at that point. I don't even know who was hosting at that point, but it was 2015 and we got our little cute movie screening situation because, you know, we're hot shots. And I was at a little screening at a little indie theater up in Bethesda. And it was awesome. Like, And I was like, I'm annoying everybody by turning my phone on so much. And on very low, very low brightness to take notes during the movie because everything was hitting me. So if you're unfamiliar with this movie, it stars Ewan McGregor. And he plays Yahshua, uh, which is the Hebrew uh, name for Jesus. And it is... Rodrigo kind of imagining deeper, more deeply what the 40 days in the desert might've looked like. And actually more specifically the latter last days that Jesus is in the desert. And it comes from this place of, well, what if Jesus is in this situation, but he's not really getting the connection 
that he's really been wanting with his father, with God. And perhaps God was talking a lot at the beginning of the film and has, or at the time of the desert, not so much now. And so I will say, I will say this movie is very triggering. If you have been involved in an intense quarantine on your own, because essentially that's what Jesus has been doing. And he's in a very rugged, brutal place. There's this one moment where McGregor is underneath, Yashua's underneath this bush, and you get this sense of the effectiveness of cloaks at that time. And he's using it to, as a shade. He's laid it into the bush to be a shade. And, but the wind is just whipping around. And he just screams into the wind. And you're like, oh, man, this is super intense. And then we have the appearance of the tempter of Satan, who is also played by Ewan McGregor, which is awesome to watch him play off himself. That shooting star last night, you enjoyed that. It was a bore liar. I am a liar, that is the truth. I've seen every shooting star since the first one. Every flash of lightning. I've heard the last gasp of each thing that ever lived. Nothing's interesting anymore. Nothing surprises you. Not a thing. The repetitiveness. The obstinate, dull repetitiveness of your father's plan is bewildering to me. The same lives lived over and over and over and over again. Is there a plan? It all has to turn into something. It has to pour out into something. But into what? And that's my weakness. Curiosity. But I'll stay as long as it takes forever to witness the end. The final sunset, if there is one. These things he expects of you. Do you think anyone will care? Man of a thousand years from now? And, uh, and at one point, Satan says to him, you know, if you're ever tired of this walk, you know that I'll come and visit you and give you another option. That is, that is the Bible movie that has really stuck with me. I, I've woven it into my class when we talk about wilderness. And it's, it's really been one that I've, I've enjoyed a lot recently. And he's kind of a hot Jesus. Well, yeah. Even though he's pretty rugged and windblown. I'm just going to say it's not... It's not super sexy, but you know. Actually, I will say that uh, when someone just sort of said the hottest Jesus or whatever, I just Googled that. And the very first thing that came up was from something called Elite Daily. And their number one pick was Ewan McGregor. Shut up. Yeah. That particular relationship, like it's only ever read as antagonistic, right? It's like Jesus is hanging out in the desert and this thing is you know, coming in and, and really, you know, just trying to throw him off, right. To deceive him, which is really the whole point of that, that um, creature in that moment. And I think that what stood out to me about this movie is how he was like a companion and a friend. And it's like, you just don't think of it that way, you know, but boy, what a way to kind of maneuver someone off of their path, but to show them empathy and care and to be a companion for them and then say, oh, you know, you can just come over here with me. Right. Yeah. When he, when as Satan, he's grumbling about how detached God is. And you know, the fact that he would 
just, you know, blow the whole system up again to just have, uh, you know, a gnat fly a little bit this direction as opposed, it's just like, I don't understand your father. He's just, it's just, he's just doesn't make sense. You know, and it's this commiserating mm-hmm. with someone to kind of pull them in, but you know, also at the same time, something, an entity that is, that is hard to understand. <laughs> um, Greg, who's, who's oh, next wait. in the bag? Get the bag. Yeah. It's me. It's oh, you. Hit me. This was like maybe the first time that I've come to the podcast without something sort of ready to go. But I had like a few things kind of like, bleep, bleep, you know, blipping around. And I was like, oh, I could talk about that. Oh, I could talk about that. You know, Cohen's like Cohen movies always have something right that you can kind of pull i I think raising arizona has like 10 biblical kind of moments you know and so i was like "Eh, i could talk about a serious man that's kind of like the job story but not the more you think about it the more you realize it's kind of like an anti-job story because the the one time he actually does do something wrong like just terrible things out like a you know tornadoes happen so i you know i think i'm gonna be cliche i think i'm gonna talk about the matrix uh and the reason that i'm gonna do the matrix is because um you know like everybody i saw that movie like you know a hundred times back in 1999 uh when it came out but i haven't seen it lately until the wachowskis talked about rebooting it like basically going back to their original vision and thinking about doing it again. And I was like, well, that's intriguing. Like how often do you see the people who actually made a movie talk about rebooting their vision of a movie? Like other than like George Lucas with star Wars or something, you know, but, and I think what, what stands out to me about it is that it's, it's a retelling of the Jesus story, but comes from this kind of outsider perspective that's kind of curious about the story, but not really super invested in the story. I played, when I was like a teenager and stuff, a lot of Japanese role-playing games. So things like Final Fantasy and Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger and stuff like that. Like Dungeons and Dragons, but like video games. And um, and the thing about Japanese culture is that they're super interested in Christian mythology, not necessarily Christian religion, but just like the the iconography of Christianity. And the Matrix kind of feels like that to me. It feels like an allusion to the mythology of the Jesus story and using that and mixing in like, you know, Kung Fu wire work and anime and like John Woo kind of gun foo gunplay and stuff and using all of these things that it was clear that they really liked from sort of Japanese Asian culture and marry marrying that to the the Christian myth of of sort of you know Jesus being betrayed dying and then rising again being something more than human, but fully human at the same time. Like they're playing with a lot of those things. And so I don't know, like what I would say is that if you haven't seen the matrix lately, go back and watch it. It's actually a neat vision. I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone 
And then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Actually, never seen the Matrix. I know, isn't that crazy? Like, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that. You know, look, it's hyper violent. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it wouldn't strike me as a Liz movie. No, no. When I was younger, it was a movie that guys were really into. Yeah. So there was sort of this, like, okay, guys, like, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I want to enter into this like deep dive of this thing that you're really into. And it's interesting that you say it's like a people movie by people who are religiously curious. I mean, with last days in the desert, Rodrigo said, I wasn't going to make a Jesus movie. Mm-hmm. This isn't a Jesus movie. Like I'm not making, I, I wanted to kind of have it be r- a riff off of something, but I'm very curious to see what, what faithful people think of the movie. Look, we, we mentioned before Mark Burnett, like he has a very specific vision that he's bringing to a Jesus movie. He wants to convert you to Christianity with his movie. Like, I don't think the Wachowskis have any interest whether or not you convert to Christianity or not, but they do think that the story is compelling. And if you read a gospel, like break out a gospel and read it, it's kind of a compelling story. I was just doing a Judas class with my youth group the other day, and I'm like, you know, this character serves a lot of functions. Like, how do you get from this part of the story to this part of the story? You create like a climactic pivot point, and this character is important for that. Like, if you're making a movie, that's a pretty compelling story. Um, and maybe if you're not religiously invested, you can see that for kind of the story that it is. But I do think that sometimes a lot of the brush that Jesus movies or Bible movies can get painted with is this idea of, like, this movie is going to save your soul. Like, I think that that's how Passion of the Christ was sold, for instance, right? Like, go see this movie and then go to church afterwards. It's funny because it is a hyper-violent movie, but when, and, and I usually don't like that. Um, but because it's so stylized, you know, with that slow motion stuff, and, like, the bad guys are, like, the, I don't know, you don't just kill them, they kind of keep coming back kind of thing. I never remember the violence in the movie. I remember the, philo- the philosophy, the, that idea of we're all living in a reality that is not actually true. We're stuck in these weird little loops and being fed dreams and break out of that is in a way a loss because it, you know, you can have this nice life and not really be alive, but to break out means you have to see the pain and the suffering everywhere around you. And to me, that's like, that's the message of Christianity. The hard, the hard part of it, I guess. Uh, the, the, the deeper engagement in the suffering around you, I think, is where the rubber hits the road. And then the other thing I was going to say, I should probably save till later, but I'll say it now anyway. I think Bible movies, at least the Jesus ones, the New Testament ones, I think it's nearly impossible to make a good one because they're just, they're too ripe for cliche or... Um, there, you know, you, you have to have a certain amount of reverence around it. So it's almost like you have to be Bible adjacent for the for it to resonate. So that something like The Matrix or something like the movie I think I'm going to talk about, actually, I think brings the message home 
more deeply. No, I'm totally with you, Ricardo. I think that those kinds of movies hold like Jesus and Jesus's work at arm's length. And it's like, oh, isn't this beautiful? Look how beautiful Mary, look how beautiful Jesus. And it just doesn't engage in any of the work that Jesus is doing, that, you know, God is doing in the midst of this particular time in history. Like, yeah, it does. It makes it makes everything like this, you know, kind of, you know, image to be seen and reverenced and not experienced. Yeah. Well, and those movies are the reason why there's a list of like top 10 hot Jesuses, you know, that having like a physically attractive character playing Jesus, movie star quality Jesus is um, an important value for some of those movies. Whereas, as you said, the biblically adjacent movies might get into more of the, the muck of humanity. Oh, uh, oh Ricardo. Oh. Right on. I mean, don't go last for once. Well, I'll, I'll just keep talking then. <laughs> I'll segue into myself. When I was in seminary with you all, I, I took my systematic theology class with the Jesuits, uh, with George Greiner. The only class I ever understood was when uh, he assigned us all uh, to pick different uh, biblical movies. And so, like, you know, three of us were a group and were reported on this movie, that movie, that movie. There was a gospel group, Jesus Christ Superstar. And I joined the Jesus of Montreal camp. Jesus of Montreal refers to the gospel according to St. Mark. Advertising for Eau de Cologne. The brothers Karamazov. The dubbing of pornographic movies. The Big Bang. The formula for Coca-Cola Classic. Jesus of Montreal. It touches on everything that is unavoidable. And so I don't know if you've seen that movie, but I think it's Canadian. Uh, I don't remember it because I haven't thought about it since systematic theology, but it was fascinating. And again, it was it was um, Bible adjacent. But the thing I remember the most about it is he, spoiler, dies right at the end. And I am just sitting there. It's like, what are they going to do with the resurrection? Like, how is this going to work? Because they're actors and they're, you know, there are subways in Montreal and it's the, you know, the nine, the whatever, the 2000s. And how are they going to do it? And, um, <laughs> and what little I remember is it was sort of like, it was almost like the gospel of Mark, you know, it was like, um, you don't know, you don't quite know what they're doing. There's a sense that something is happening, but he doesn't actually walk out onto a lake and say, let's have some fish together. I would I was dead, but I'm back, but it's resonant enough that it, it gives you that idea. And what I walked away from in the movie was the characters who loved him and surrounded him came out with a message to, to give to the world because of how he had lived and even though he had died, they were living into what he taught them and spreading it amongst other people, I think. Jesus of Montreal, I think it's like late Heard 80s. Heard of it, but never seen it. It's, it's 1989. Yeah. 
And I'm surprised looking at the IMDb page that that guy didn't end up on your hot Jesus list. Oh, my. <laughs> He's hot Jesus-esque <laughs> <laughs> French Canadian actor. I, I'm having a hard time pronouncing it. Yes, but it looks really good. It has him like uh, the movie poster has him on an escalator in a white suit kind of go, you know, ascending up. And I'm like, oh, nice touch. Nice yeah. touch. I like that. I think as, as sort of Bible movies go, uh, as I was saying, that, that, that's, that I think is the more convincing kind of movie. Not just that they set it in, you know, do the gimmicky thing of setting it in today's world, but that they actually take some of the teachings and try to make them resonate with real life stuff. Um, all the while, there is a play going on. So you get to have a little sense of, okay, there's also acting happening. So that's, that's, that's my pick, Jesus of Montreal. I commend it. All right, who next? Who is- All right, last. First to introduce herself. Um, I'm in a tough spot here, everyone, because I was thinking about the more traditional, like, biblical movies. And to be honest, I racked my brain, and I have not seen any of those movies. Like, I didn't grow up watching the Ten Commandments on Easter, you know, you're your Holy Saturday or whatever, even though it was always on TV, I have not seen, um, I've, I think in high school we watched Jesus Christ Superstar. I went to a Catholic high school, but really like I have not seen any of those movies, even like the Prince of Egypt. Like I just haven't. So then I started thinking, well, what are some movies that are probably about, the Bible or about Jesus, like adjacent, like you guys were saying. And so like, I know that the Lord of the Rings is about Jesus, right? I could recommend that. Uh, Harry Potter. I know there are people who have just written volumes about the Christian themes in Harry Potter, um, but I'm a little bit lost there. I still don't really understand how Harry Potter ended. I'm not, we don't need to get into that right now, but like, I'm still confused by Snape. Well, I mean, if we're talking about any movie with a Jesus Christ figure situation, self-sacrifice, right? Right. We could be here for a long time. Right. Which then, you know, begs the question that like, is the, I was, this is so embarrassing. I'm just going to tell this story on the podcast. I was on a date. It was a first or second date with someone that there weren't that many dates. And when you date as a priest, it's awkward because you immediately sit down and you don't want to be the person's priest, but um, it's hard. A lot of the skills that we have honed to be good priests, honestly, also make us good dates, right? Like you're great at asking questions, listening, not revealing very much of yourself so that you can just hear a lot about another person. So it's a dance. It's a constant dance. But I went on several dates with this guy who um, I, I remember this so vividly. He was sitting across from me and he's like, I don't know if you know this, but um, there's a lot of ancient mythology, a lot older than the Bible, where the God figure dies and comes back. And I was like, yeah, Yeah. like, I do know that. I did know. I know that. So like, like, (laughs) he was kind of about to be like, he was going to drop some knowledge on you. <laughs> I'm going to rock your world and destroy your faith. You were you were about to pull your collar out just, and burn it in <laughs> right? the candle on and just, the like, table. Drop it the right on the table. Just burn it. So you have changed my life, good sir. <laughs> what did you say? You just said yeah. I, I was just like yeah, I know. And he looked at me like, how can you still believe this thing? 
But uh, but so that that makes me think about movies and and books and lots of great art that are they ba- the story of the you know sacri- the sacrificial figure who takes on the sins of the world or who represents perfect love or whatever is that a meta narrative of the Christian story or is it even more ancient than that? Does the Christian story fall into an even longer? progression and in western film especially i think that that would be hard to untangle anywho so like the lion king is that a story about jesus Ham- hamlet jesus. hamlet <laughs> exactly right exactly so the lion king is a story about hamlet is hamlet a story about jesus this goes on and on so here's literally the only thing i could think of seven the horror movie by david fincher <laughs> which is about the seven deadly sins all right, that took a turn. That's, so that's a, a real hard. Right. It's a real stretch for a Bible movie, but I thought it's about the seven deadly sins. I'm not really going to get that far into this because really, seven is about um, Dante's Inferno, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a great. Um, in fact, also when I was in high school, we watched Jesus Christ Superstar, but we also watched Seven after reading Dante's Inferno. Can you imagine that Who now? Was your I- teacher? <laughs> 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 This is the the beauty of, I went to a Jesuit high school that was really like academically rigorous and kind of expected a lot of us. And that was the beauty of being in an academic environment where like you didn't have to ask a lot of permission. So I, I recently rewatched Seven and was horrified. I was like, I can't even believe that I watched that in <laughs> high school. But, um, but it's a perfect, I mean, it's a great, it's a great um, explanation of Dante's Inferno of some of the like critical aspects of how he understands hell and sin. It's where I learned the word contrapasso. I will take your questions and <laughs> ask me anything. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED Exactly. Thank you for and what bums me out is for a year, I feel like I'm always the little voice on this podcast pushing, like, let's talk more about Jesus. And then the one time that it's just teed up for me, I come up empty handed. I mean, this is the other thing with Bible movies. They lead you to these male centric narratives. I mean, that's a lot that's of true. what we've also talked about here too, as well. That's that right. Unless you're really trying to do like that Mary, mother of God, sorry, Christian Bale was in that one or whatever. Like, you know, we try to take, you know, there's a, the Mary Magdalene movie, right? Or when you try to kind of bring the female voices in, it becomes, you know, like, I, you know, I would love a Hagar movie. Like, that would be so interesting. Yeah. Um, I always enjoy that idea. I think, Greg, I think you're right. When you try to make it, make these movies with the main characters, it's like in that way when we were told in homiletics class, like, if you're struggling with a story, don't preach from the minor, don't preach about the major character, go for right. a minor character. Yeah. Who's that girl in the corner? Who's who's that unnamed person that exited stage right and what's going on with them and Can I can I go back to Seven? Yeah, because I love Seven. I I love Seven. It is the bleakest, darkest doggone movie you're ever going to see, but yeah. I I love it. I think I think David Fincher, you know, he and I go back to cold-hearted snake with paul abdul like we you know i i love his stuff i, I just I think him. that he's amazing Zodiac right? is probably one of my favorite movies yeah yeah here's the thing about seven is that it is grim i mean you are in it the entire time gwyneth paltrow is basically your only source of light and you just feel horrible 
for how she has to live in this cruddy city where it rains all the time and her husband is an idiot and his partner is an unfeeling guy that hangs out in the library at midnight. And it's just, it is the worst. But what I always remember about Seven, like one of the things that always comes back to me is the last line that Morgan Freeman has in the movie where he says, Whatever he needs. Where are you going to be? Around. I'll be around. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. When we're talking about Bible movies, and, you know, maybe this is the Bible-adjacent stuff, but we're talking about a world where Jesus was hounded, suffered, died, was brought back, and it was all worth it. Like, we are all worth it to God. Like, we are all worth saving, even though we are this miserable city where we're constantly raining and poor Gwyneth Paltrow is the only source of light. Goop is really doing it right now. Like, you know, redeemed like I just, yeah, that's the, that's the one line in that movie that redeems the whole thing because you realize that like, that's how God views the world. Like we are not worth saving, but we are worth saving. Thank you all for bringing these cinematic options to our audience here. Um, we also want to thank those of you who are finding old episodes of the podcast in this time of quarantine and wanting to listen to something different. We are seeing some interesting spikes on old episodes. So I want to thank you so much for, for listening out there and you can find of course our podcast, wherever you've been finding all those other podcasts that you've been listening to in this time of quarantine and whatever that's looked like for you but um, i really just want to say thank you ricardo thank you greg thank you liz and this has been popping collars keep those collars popped did you know i just got an email that says congratulations you are now available on amazon music like alexa play popping collars Fixed.